welcome to A Diary is Yes Indeed, a weekly digest of my online journal. My name is Ren Powell, but the quote, A Diary is Yes Indeed, belongs to Gertrude Stein. Like Stein, I believe glimpses into one another's daily lives makes us recognize ourselves and feel less alone. And that's always a good thing. Thank you for listening. Episode 21, March 25th, 2021. Conjuring a Sudden Appearance. Sometimes, for no particular reason, a season turns and something new begins. A fog lifts, but so slowly that even watching it, you can't pinpoint the moment that it is past. I sometimes slip into thinking that this is the way of the world, but I think the fault is in me than not noticing. I read a book once on quantum mechanics, and while reading it, with each paragraph, with each page, I understood it. I could hold the concept in my head, and it made sense. But when I finished the book, all of the ideas were lost to me. It was when I understood my own limitations with regard to that kind of abstract conceptualization In some ways, I was disappointed in myself, but there was also a kind of satisfaction in finding this one way to delineate my own abilities here, but no further. It was a step closer to discovering the shape of me. Now a new direction, running into a new limitation. I wonder if someday I will step back and see an outline of who I am. There's a kind of security knowing where the edges of myself lie. It is something I can point to and claim to know. My point was, I remember from the quantum mechanic books that things don't happen gradually and they don't ease into our awareness. There are sudden jumps. Babies really do grow suddenly overnight. It's not our imaginations. So it is actually like that. The fog just lifts and We just think we missed it because we're searching for a process, almost like searching for an explanation. If we can't explain it, we can't predict it next time. We can't pretend to control it. The doctors tell us things happen gradually, so gradually that we don't notice. They reassure us that things are happening outside of our awareness. But what if they're wrong? What if things are stagnant until they just inexplicably change? Even a metaphorical fog lifting can simultaneously make me feel better and make me feel inadequate. I can't find a reason for this thinning of the world, for this easing in the atmosphere. I try to track down the causes, but I'm rationalizing. A dinner with friends, a morning in the porch without gloves, who knows? But if I knew, I could squirrel the information away for the next time and use it as a treatment, all very scientific. But here I sit with incantations, but also wonder. An interruption, a detour from linear growth, unexpected, 
May 26th, 2021, Meditation on a Seesaw. I've switched up the mornings, riding before running, or to be honest, run walking these days on a difficult Achilles. I'm not sure I like the new routine. It's like the pump is primed and ideas have come while I'm on the trail that I can't follow through on and that I forget. Nothing is perfect, but things are good. Better. I do have a hard time shaking this feeling that I've missed out on the past few months. Missed spring. Nearly all of the ferns have completely unfurled their tight, dark fists, and the floor along the edges of the grove are lush with a new green, and fairy bells are already past their prime. I think most of all I'm sad that for the past few years the ducks and the swans have been so good at hiding their hatchlings, one could easily believe there were none. The only sign of renewal is the brown-tinged swan last that has staked out the area next to the bridge, alone but for a few bachelor mallards. But to be honest, I don't think that I have actually missed out on things. My expectations have just been too high. I've been wanting the spring to overwhelm me in some fairy tale fashion. I've been looking for signs, and that is really quite silly. What I am really waiting for is a shift in my perspective. After a year of near social isolation, two gatherings in three days was a little overwhelming. Something of a deluge in the desert. Now just the thought of going to the hairdresser today is a little stressful. Chit-chat is expected, and I've never been good at that. Now that I think about it, I have always been something of a deluge or drought kind of person, never quite getting the balance right. Some of the words come to mind, temperate, equipoise, equilibrium, symmetry. Maybe the problem is that although symmetry is beautiful, it is predictable and so often boring, unless it's a Wes Anderson kind of symmetry. But then the world is periodically on fire and not everyone is comfortable with that kind of life. I am. In the mornings, I meditate for a few minutes on equanimity. Yellow, re on the exhale. I doubt that the articulation matters, but the vibration does. Accepting and giving, or sometimes accepting and letting go, all the perspectives, things, concepts that clutter our lives, that come and go like respiration, that should do so easily, effortlessly, Can they still be wild with energy, passionate and fallow in equal terms? The foliage doesn't fight the winter. It doesn't resist whatever kind of death the winter brings, and it doesn't hold back in the spring trying to smooth the cycle into a flat kind of average life year-round. It relishes everything and then lets go. In circular breathing, there's a moment of waiting, not holding the breath, then a complete release that for me feels a bit frightening in its emptiness. Then a so longed for satisfying inhalation. In another pranayama exercise, there are passive inhalations and forced energetic exhalations in rapid succession to stimulate the body and the mind. Leonard has zoomies, then sleeps on the couch most of the rest of the day. Is 
The idea of equanimity as a steady hum of tranquility against nature, really? I know I'm taking Jesus entirely out of conflict when I say the advice from that hold is to be hot or cold but never lukewarm. I'm wondering if all the advice regarding balance is not really aimed at a good life, but at an unobtrusive life. It's more about social control than personal or even interpersonal experiences. A seesaw is all about balance, after all. It's the almost edge of ripe. It's the almost void of new beginnings. May 27th, 2021, in my own front yard. This morning I woke late, but we went to the lake anyway. It is feeling a lot like summer, a chill in the air but no arctic wind. In fact, no wind to speak of this morning. While Leonard sniffed around, we watched the almost swan paddling near the bridge. I meant to look up whether there was a way to distinguish male from female without becoming invasive. It is still alone, at any rate. There were a few mallards keeping their distance. A squirrel stopped halfway up the tree trunk to stare at us, perfectly silhouetted against the blue sky so that the silly fur forks standing up from the tips of his ears were visible. I still have no idea if the tussle we witnessed a few weeks back was a fight for territory or some kind of mating activity. Maybe there's a second squirrel tucked away in the trees with babies. It almost makes me sad to be so ignorant of something so close. I think maybe this summer, when school lets out in two weeks, I could pack a lunch and settle under the trees there, bring binoculars and spy a little. Why not? It's odd. I actually have plans to do something similar next month. We're flying and boating all the way up to an island above the Arctic Circle to stay in a cabin with friends without running water. I hope to spend a few days on the beach waiting and watching for porpoises and otters, scanning the sky for birds of prey and trying to identify them. Why do I feel a need to go away from home to pay close attention? It's almost as if it is allowed then. It's not indulgent or eccentric or peculiar. It's a vacation. I've tried my BirdNet app for the last two days. Sometimes it's difficult for the app to distinguish the birds at all. It is such a cacophony. Most of the time it manages the blackbird. I was annoyed at first. One of the three birds I know by song and the most ubiquitous here since it overwinters unlike most of the sparrows. But then, why am I valuing rare birds over these birds that hop alongside us every morning year-round, their familiar orange beaks shining under the lamps in the winter? They're not showy. They're not even iridescently black like the magpies. But they sing. Around the clock, they sing. Maybe there is a lesson to be learned from the common blackbirds. Once we saw an owl swoop into view from darkness. Blackbirds sing always. May 29th, 2021. Not sure I want to do the hustle. I am certain that I have written on this topic before, 
certain because I've had the same exact prompt for exploration of the subject again and again. And again, someone offers advice that to make myself more visible as a poet, I should teach workshops on this or that. Sometimes a suggestion doesn't even involve teaching poetry. It is interesting, and it is totally unintentionally demoralizing. I already have a job that isn't writing. There seems to be this idea that if people like you personally, they will like your poetry. They just need to get to know you. That seems odd to me. I don't know writers whose work I admire. And in some instances, I dislike writers whose work I admire. And I wonder if the genre writing community is as similar to a cult of personality. I asked my Canadian publisher which of her titles sold best. She didn't take a beat. Those who are very visible on social media. It's interesting and perplexing. I have a full-time job. I write daily, hand-bind books and make broadsides from handmade paper. I'm writing the newest manuscript. I keep two Instagram accounts, a Twitter account, and a Facebook page. I spent weeks setting up a shop there, which yielded one view. I have even begun to delve into Etsy and Pinterest. I have a dog, a husband, and despite COVID, friends. And the last two things I mentioned require me to shower. Where do people find the time to do more? I'm impressed. Serve the community. It's common advice to writers and to visual artists. The marketing advice is almost identical to the advice offered to people selling workshops about marketing, to people selling pilfered quotes on t-shirts and coffee mugs. The word ingratiate keeps coming to my mind, and I'm not saying people who are popular ingratiate themselves, but any conscious attempt to become popular on my part would be. I've never been someone who successfully vies for attention. Four people in a room and I will press myself against the wall to watch. I think it's why I'm a writer. And a writer who has on occasion had too much to drink than it was wise to drink at conferences. Just to be able to make small talk. I am naturally more of an amateur social scientist watching discreetly from the corner of the room, noting observations about the fascinating gaps between spoken language and body language, than I am someone who dances on the table. I can control a classroom, but when all the teachers are in the room at the same time, the only thing that tells me apart from the students is my gray hair and drooping skin. Literally, I have been an alien for nearly 30 years. Figuratively, for much longer. I tried very hard to fit in in high school and gave up entirely my junior year. All that contorting was very painful. I could never figure out what I would win from it either. Is it possible for life to still be like a bad teen rom-com when you're over 50? I'm not going to win any popularity contests and I'm going to be okay with that. In seventh grade, I did win a dance contest. The hustle was on the way out, but disco was still in. All the boys were named Steve or Greg, and all the girls were Rebecca's and Pam's. I do remember some things. A Halloween party, and I tripped and got an iconic nickname for my performance. The nickname meant I belonged for about four months. Then we moved again. 
to start over in another town. You can't bring nicknames with you, especially when they're ironic. It's weird. I remember the nickname, those people. I've been thinking about how I have carried on a pattern of starting over throughout my life, even when it wasn't necessary. Sometimes I circle back, and even though I get distracted, ooh, that would be fun to do, I do think I am moving in an ever-tightening circle, sort of zeroing in on a kind of contentment that isn't dependent on other people's responses. Not there yet, but closer. I have a tattoo on the base of my neck. It is one of those Eastern-inspired Western designs that are about life's path. I asked my then-teen son to design it for me. It has a strange, hard turn in one of the concentric circles. I've never asked him about what it was. I assumed it was the divorce in his mind, though it was something else to me. Or maybe, and it was something else to me. So when the tattoo artist assumed it was a mistake and asked me if I wanted him to fix the design, I said no. My older son keeps reminding me to stay true to my joy. He doesn't use those words. I have no idea whose words those are, actually. He says, only do the marketing as long as it is fun. I haven't submitted work to journals in over five years. I I want to have my head together before I do. I want to have my personal guidelines clear before I even look at the calls. Writing is my practice. It's not my livelihood. I'm going to try to dance, but not do the hustle. What feels like a hard turn, decisive and brutal, will turn back again in time, imperceptibly, softening in the distance. was it for this week. You've been listening to me, Ren Powell, poet and teaching artist living in the southwest of Norway. For more information about my books, mentoring services, or Mad Orphan Lit, please see my website, renpowell.com, R-E-N-P-O-W-E-L-L.com, where you can also sign up for a newsletter. I hope you will listen in again next week. Until then, take care. 